you for listening to Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. We now present an encore presentation of Carmelite Conversations. Well, hello and welcome back to Carmelite Conversations on Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. Uh, Today we're going to continue a conversation that Francis and I began last week regarding the role of Mary in Carmel. And Francis, uh, first of all, hello. How are you? Hello. I'm, I'm blessed. And how are you, Mark? <laughs> Great. Thank you very much. I, you know, I have to tell you, you and I have done a lot of study and research and uh, reading together, talking together. Um, much of what I think we've had the opportunity to have conversation on on this wonderful radio program um, has been material that we were both perhaps a little bit more intimately familiar with when we began. For myself, anyway, I have to confess, this is unearthing a sort of uh, wealth of literature that I wasn't familiar with. And again, I'm going to caution our listeners that um, we haven't found as much of it from Carmelite authors as we might have hoped. But Francis, you had something to share <laughs> on that just before we pray here today. Yes, um, I had put out a challenge that if any of our listeners uh, were aware of any of these types of books that were by Carmelites about Mary, you know, to please let us know. Well, our, our helpmate here in the studio, Marika, she's our radio tech. <laughs> she she was Googling while we were talking. <laughs> and so she came up with a list. And, you know, she actually came up with two books that I actually had in my library, but my library is so big that I, I missed them. <laughs> But I have to re- mention these for the benefit of our listeners. It, they are by Redemptus M. Valabek. It's V-A-L-A-B-E-K. Who, who is a Carmelite, right? uh, Yes, of the ancient observance. Mm-hmm. And the title, there's two volumes, volume one and two. Both of them are called Mary, Mother of Carmel, Our Lady, and the Saints of Carmel. And, and they're thick. They're about 300 pages each. And um, they basically, he's, he's taking... Um, the sources from lots of different Carmelites, both of the Ocarm and of the Discast, and he's bringing them in. So it's not like he's writing something himself. He's bringing in other people's works. It's kind of a synthesis of, of all these different sources. So, But there's still a challenge, though, that there is lacking someone writing on the Marian tradition of the Discast um, a complete study of the Marian spirit of St. Teresa's reform. And even Father Michael Berry said that in, in one a of friend, his articles. A friend of this program, somebody I've had the great privilege of meeting. I think you've met him, Francis. Yes, and you know what? He, he had a nice article online. It's called The Blessed Mother by Father Gabriel Berry, OCD. So it's, it's a rather longer article, and it is on the Mary. So I think he started the project just to see if he could finish it. Um, but anyway, uh, so we do have some books out there. And, um, so, uh, and there's one other called Mary the Contemplative by Reverend Joseph Chalmers. He was the prior general of the ancient observance. And, um, you can see that online. And I'm going to put a link on our Facebook for that. Okay. So still some literature out there, but Francis's uh, commission to, uh, our fellow Carmelites, uh, certainly those who may be involved in academic research and writing, uh, stands in that, uh, writing that single volume or maybe multi-volume uh, thematic uh, uh, representation of the role that Mary plays. And for my own, uh, uh, I guess, taste, Francis, as I think is true for you, we like to see the practical application uh, with the sort of underlying theology. I think the work we're uh, using, Father uh, 
uh, Lagrange's work, uh, Dominican, certainly speaks to the theology, but he also sort of brings it into the practical realm of how this might apply to our life, perhaps less so than than um, some of our Carmelite authors in the book that you mentioned uh, have done. But um, nonetheless, the challenge remains. Yeah, and you know, when I think of it, it really what it boils down to is living Jesus in Mary, hmm. you know, and living the Mass. Um, but that plays out in so many ways, which we hope to touch a little bit on. And it plays yeah. out first in our prayer. So yes. why don't we begin with prayer, Francis? <laughs> nice segue there. <laughs> I chose the Memorari because we want the Blessed Mother to remember. So let us join together. Let's get recollected in your heart and your soul. Get quiet and let us pray. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, that never was it known that anyone who fled to thy protection, implored thy help, or sought thy intercession was left unaided. Inspired with this confidence, I fly to thee, O Virgin of Virgins, my mother. To thee do I come, before thee I stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother of the Word incarnate, Despise not my petitions, but in thy mercy, hear and answer me. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Well, Francis, we started this conversation, uh, as we say, a week ago, and um, it was entitled, Mary in Our Interior Life. And we focused largely in that first conversation on Mary's earthly life. So we went over the events of her earthly life. We went over her response to God's call at the Annunciation. We talked a bit about the visitation, though perhaps not as much as we could have, uh, something we may want to revisit. There's so much in that um, uh, scripture passage. And then, of course, we talked about the incarnation, uh, Christ's birth, uh, and the role that Mary played through all of that. Uh, I am going to reflect a little bit today on um, this idea of uh, Mary between the Annunciation and the Incarnation, which Elizabeth of the Trinity says is the model of the contemplative. And we'll sort of open that up a little bit, but it has more to do with the spiritual aspect. So it brings us back to today's theme, which is Mary's universal mediation from heaven. So not her earthly life, but now we're going to focus on her mediation her role in our life uh, from her seat, her throne in heaven. And I subtitled this, Mary Has a Secret, right? <laughs> I want to know what that is. <laughs> <laughs> Don't we all? Well, isn't it interesting, Francis, that in so many uh, manifestations of Mary, in her apparition, uh, apparitions rather, the, the word secret seems to play a central theme. Isn't this true at Fatima? Uh, it's true at Lourdes. It's true, of course, today at Magigori, right? There's so mm-hmm. much interest in this idea of secret. Right. And I think it is not, uh, certainly the Lord never does anything, nor does the Blessed Mother by accident. Uh, but we have to look for the deeper meaning uh, in this word secret and in the hidden mystery that the Blessed Mother presents to us. But this theme that seems to ride throughout Everywhere that the Blessed Mother appears is the word secret, isn't it? Well, I think you've got to hurry up and tell us what the secret is, because if we go to the end of the program and you haven't specifically said this is the secret, we're going to be in trouble. Well, I don't want to disappoint you. I think the secret is something we each have to search for individually, 
with the help of the Blessed Mother. Uh, I don't mean to suggest that uh, there isn't, in fact, an answer to it. I think there's a very deep and profound answer. And I think we individually seek that understanding in our relationship with the Blessed Mother. But to put some context around it, I think it has to do with the interior uh, nature of the Sacred Heart dwelling within the Immaculate Heart. And as we consecrate ourselves and we live within the experience of Mary and Jesus together in that beating heart for a time, a single beating heart, as we well know, uh, we join our heart spiritually to that beating heart. uh, And in that is found both mystery and the secret uh, to our relationship with the Lord. So that's some context. I don't mean to suggest that I'm playing I've got a secret, Mm -hmm. uh, but rather I think the call is uh, for each of us individually uh, to seek out in relationship with the Blessed Mother. You know, I said in our conversation last week, I want to reiterate, I don't believe, I'm a Carmelite, so I get to say this, I don't believe you can come to the Lord and experience the graces available to us um, without going through the Blessed Mother. She is the dispenser, the mediatrix. We're going to talk yeah, those titles. Yeah, she's the conduit of grace. Yeah, yes. you know, there's a, a, a phrase, we might as well go ahead and throw it out now, uh, that uh, Father Lagrange uses where he refers to her as the neck yes. of the body, right? Yes. So Christ is the head, that's scriptural. We are the members, we are the limbs, if you will, uh, we're the torso and so forth of the body. But what's the the sort of medium, the mediator between is the neck, right? Right. And, and the graces all flow through that. Uh, that medium. And this is one of the contexts, one of the analogies, frankly, he uses to describe it. But in our last conversation, we talked about the topic of Mary's universal mediation on earth. We just want to quickly cover that ground. And what did we talk about there, Francis? We had some some key themes I think we hit on. Well, the, it's, she's a universal mother, not just us of us humanly on earth, because, because we know at the foot of the cross, Jesus said, you know, to John, here's your mother, you know, so she was given to us in a spiritual sense there. And, and that is in a higher sense than in the physical sense. And then, you know, how her special graces and how she merits for us. You know, who knew Jesus and loved Jesus more? No one. (laughs) Only she knew what it was like to carry him inside her own body. Only she knew some of the very intimate nature of their relationship. And, you know, she, um, she had this privileged place. And, you know, their relationship was, um, so particular that only she, um, would be, uh, cognizant yeah, of it, some it, of the graces, you know, <laughs> and only by her sharing with the apostles right. or through the saints, um, or through revelation to, um, and, and private- we talked about that with regard to the incarnation to the cross, right? Her participation in both the yes. joy and yet the passion. Yes, and, you know, isn't it true that wherever there is love, there's also the cross? And, you know, she's the epitome of love and the cross. And, you know, when I I think of how Isaac, Abraham gave, was it Abraham and Isaac, right? Mm -hmm. Abraham presented Isaac Mm -hmm. to be emulated, you know, but the angel stopped him. And here the Blessed Mother at the foot of the cross presents him presents Jesus to be emulated on behalf of all of us. And, you know, what great love, because she didn't go back and say, hey, stop, don't do this to my son. 
she knew the redemption and and what was coming she she knew the will of god you know she had the scriptures that you know um prophesied all of this she of course was getting lights on understanding god's plan and here she is cooperating so what great love and and you know she would rather have been on the cross herself you know as any parent would would rather take the pain than have their child go through it but but yet this is what was necessary. And so she was not crawled up and, and um, you know, uh, wailing and flailing. No, she was dignified and she stood. She stood at the cross where we, too, are called to stand. And so we, too, need to know that, you know, there is pain, there is suffering, but grace has come from it. Life comes from it. In a very real way, like our Heavenly Father, our Blessed Mother, gave away her only begotten son. She willingly accepted God's plan for salvation. Uh, She embraced, if you will, all of her children through her one begotten child. And this is a very real sense of what we can do. Follow her in her self-emptying. She gave all. Yeah. All right. And so we, too, are invited to imitate her to give all. And isn't it wonderful how God continues through all the actions in the Holy Family's life to invite us also to participate in it today in this day and age? We also can can participate in this in a spiritual matter and gain grace. Well, and in fact, we're called to. That's part of our uh, call as uh, baptized Christians and certainly uh, for Catholics, and I'd say even uh, more particularly, Francis, for us as Carmelites, we understand this call, uh, certainly to the joy of the birth of Christ within us. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are given that invitation, uh, but we are to then follow him to the cross, and we are to suffer uh, on occasion all that comes with that so that we can then experience the glory. And our Blessed Mother is both our mother and our model. It's a phrase we used in our last conversation on this. Uh, But today we want to focus on how she serves in the special role as intercessor and the universal mediator on behalf of all of us uh, in her reign in heaven. Yes. We talked about her queenship a little bit, but that's uh, more formally for a later program. Um, We must remember that Mary's privileged position in heaven uh, comes to her certainly as a gift, but not merely as a gift. It's also a part, it's a beneficial consequence of the unique role she played in salvation history. Her active participation in it, as we talked about, and again, as Francis has said, we are all given that same invitation, and we respond uh, in different degrees. We respond uh, with a measure of... uh, uh, I guess conformance and obedience and and love at the end of the day, which is what drives this behavior. Uh, we all respond in a different way. The Blessed Mother responded, of course, completely. She gave, in military terms, the last full measure. Uh, and, of course, by consequence of that, she is full of grace. We must remember, uh, as we discussed last week, it wasn't just her participation uh, of bringing Christ into the world, the Incarnation, but also most especially her participation in his passion. And as Francis has said, we will be given that same invitation. Offering her son up for the benefit of us all is the way that she joined her suffering and obedience to what uh, we know the Father asked of her. And, you know, now as we think of her in heaven, um, and and we have already said, you know, she's our mother. You know, we've, we already know that from the foot of the cross. She's our mother. But here in heaven, you know, 
parents know their children, right? If they have a loving relationship with them, they know them. And what parent does not want to do for their children? I mean, it's instinctive that a parent wants to help their children. Uh, in fact, this was pointed out in some reading that I read today. I think it was from Father, uh, from Saint um, Alphonsus Liguori, where he said that. Um, isn't it interesting, I'm paraphrasing, of course, that in the Ten Commandments, it, you don't have to command the parents to love the child. <laughs> it's so ingrained in their hearts and their minds and their souls. But it, it was one of the Ten Commandments to honor your father and mother. So I, I'm like, oh, you know, I never thought of that. So my point being that here she is in heaven. We know she is our spiritual mother. And, you know, she is the epitome of, of the perfect soul after jesus and she is one of us she's a human and so you know even all the saints and angels all together none of them merit like mary did as being the mother of christ the mother of all of us and being perfect and knowing with such great perfection infinite perfection the infinite will of our lord you know she is the best one for us to go and ask to speak to God, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. She is our best intercessor, our mediator, our advocate, because she perfectly knows the will of God, and she perfectly lived the will of God in her life on earth. And now in heaven, you know, nothing keeps her back. <laughs> She's not, you know, stuck in just a body. She has infinite um, abilities. Well, her powerful mediation, her, her intercession that you've identified here already, of course, has some grounding for us, uh, both scripturally and um, in, in the writings of the Church Fathers. Again, the work that we're drawing from uh, for this conversation is, is Father Garigou uh, Lagrange's Mother of the Savior, and most especially we're working with the second half of that book, uh, which is entitled Mary, Mother of All Men, her universal mediation and our interior life, how we grow in the interior life or the spiritual life. The scripture tells us, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our abode with him. This is exactly what happened uh, in the life of the Blessed Mother. And now she's trying to teach us in this uh, mediation of our interior life exactly how we can do that. Next uh, we understand Mary's role in the Passion of Christ in the same way Mary provided her only son. We, too, are asked to make those sacrifices that Francis talked about. But now we're talking about Mary in heaven as dispenser of all graces, as mediatrix of all graces. And Father Lagrange uh, cites a couple of key uh, historical documents here to sort of make this case. And I, I think it's important that we do understand there's a theological context here. Um, he says uh, Pope Leo XIII in his first encyclical on the Rosary in September uh, 1883 calls Mary the dispenser of heavenly graces. In this encyclical, uh, uh, following encyclical actually in 1894, the same Pope makes his own uh, uh, two statements uh, that are attributed to St. Bernard that God in his great mercy has made Mary our mediatrix and that he has willed that all graces should come to us through her. 
The same teaching is found in the encyclical uh, February 2nd, 1904, where Mary is spoken of as the dispenser of all graces, which have been acquired for us by the blood of Jesus. Jesus has always, Francis, we have to make sure to reiterate this, because there is confusion on this at times in the church when we talk about devotion to Mary. Jesus is the source of all grace. He is the source of all grace. Mary, as it were, the, the aqueduct, or to use another image, uh, which we already have, the neck, right, between the head of Christ and the body. She is the means through which these graces are dispensed. She is the mediatrix of all graces, a terribly important point, and there's a foundation for how that builds. Well, I have another analogy. It's from St. Bonaventure, and, and here's what he said. As the moon, standing between the sun and the earth, transmits to the earth whatever light it receives from the sun... So Mary stands between God and human beings and pours his grace upon us. So she's reflecting the grace. I love that analogy like of the sun too, and yeah. the moon and yeah. the sun. It sort of harkens back to St. John of the Cross about the window, right? Of course, here we're talking something slightly okay, different. Okay, say, say what that is so that uh, our listeners understand. As the light is, of course, uh, transmitted through glass into a room, uh, St. John talks to us about how the smudginess in the glass, the impairment of our souls, the condition of our souls, can impede that light. And uh, the objective, of course, in the purification is to remove all of those impediments to a clear uh, shedding of that light through the glass. In fact, I think Lagrange says something in here about Mary being the brightest manifestation of his glory yes. and his grace. Yes, exactly And so, right. of, of course, she's a great intercessor and mediator for us. Well, the Church Fathers and, of course, the, the uh, various documents uh, uh, support this, and I just do want to give this backdrop because I think it's one of the advantages of reading uh, a great theologian like uh, Father Lagrange. Um, in an article of, it is a, rather an article of faith, that saints intercede for us. This is directly from the Council of Trent. Uh, the saints do intercede for us. We know that. Mary, as you've already said, Francis, is the great intercessor, right? Because she was the recipient of all grace, full of grace. Oftentimes the individual saints are given graces pursuant to uh, individual uh, activities, sacrifices that they made on their own, right? right? We know we have patron saints for for specific causes. Mary was the recipient of all grace. She's full of grace. And because the saints, she being the greatest among them, intercede for us, we know we have a great intercessor in yeah. Mary. And so she's not limited to pray for just one person. She prays for all right. people. And for all causes. Yes, all causes, uh, all people, all time. <laughs> yeah, at all time. Tradition teaches us also that Mary not only intercedes, but this is very important. I, I love that uh, Father Lagrange brings this out. She also assists us inquire acquiring sorry the proper disposition so in other words she's not just working with the father and with our lord and savior jesus christ she's working with us to dispose us now we talked about this last week but i want to capitalize on it now because we're talking about mary's intercessory power her her mediation from heaven and we want to focus on this idea of predisposing us and what does that mean well, if you went to ask your mother prior to, say, asking your father for the use of the car on a particular Friday night, for example, when you were a young person, your mother might say, well, that's fine if you want to <clears throat> ask your father for the car, but it might be a good idea that you also indicate 
Um, you're willing to do some chores with the car, or you're willing to go pick up your brother, right? The mother would sort of help temper the asking. That would do two things, right? One, it would enlist the father's support, but two, it would help us to contribute to the process. In other words, invoking a charitable act, perhaps, right? Do we not know this experience when we were young? I certainly do. Mm -hmm. If I wanted to ask my father for the car, I would always go ask my mother, how do I approach dad on this? And she would temper my communication with my father in a way that she was more convinced would lead to the right um, uh, you know, sort of outcome that I was seeking. Yes, that's so beautiful and so true. And so that leads to this third point that no grace is granted us without her intervention. Yeah, directly, her intervention in all that we receive. And again, I'm going to go uh, to Father Lagrange on this. Historically, this doctrine that we've just discussed will be found implicit in the doctrine of Mary's universal mediation. It's up until the 18th century, uh, 8th century rather, It becomes more explicit as we draw nearer to the 15th century in the form of the affirmation that all of God's gifts come through Mary as an intermediary. intermediary. Her universal mediation in the sense that the disposition which we must bring to the reception of the sacraments are obtained directly through her intercession. And again, we talked last week in our conversation on merit about how Mary merits for us, and that contributes also to this idea of her intervention. We're going to take a break now. When we come back, we want to pick up on this theme of Mary in heaven with a little more grounding, uh, largely in St. Thomas, as to how she exactly plays this role with each of us individually. When we return to Carmelite Conversations on Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home.
listening to Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. The program you're currently listening to is a rebroadcast of Carmelite Conversations. Well, welcome back to Carmelite Conversations. You know, we're on a very interesting, I think, Francis, conversation <laughs> uh, regarding the role that Mary plays in our life. And we've said that there are some theological groundings to this doctrine to this teaching, which is very important, and we're trying to bring some of that out. Uh, But at the end of the day, we're also most, I think, focused on trying to understand exactly, Francis, as you said in the break, how does this uh, manifest itself in our day-to-day relationship with our Blessed Mother, in our prayer life, in our interaction with other people? And we want to spend a little bit of time talking about that. Well, Francis, we talked about these three ideas of um, the theological grounding that we must have faith that the saints intercede for us. This is right from the Council of Trent. That Mary's real role uh, in in, in uh, well, I won't say the real role, but part of her role in interceding for us is predisposing us uh, in preparation for uh, asking the Father, seeking the Father's will, and she does everything. Of course, her will was perfectly united with the will of the Father. We know that, yes. uh, as was true for Jesus, and so. In a very special way, uh, she has a unique understanding of how each of us individually can more appropriately respond to what the Father um, has in mind for us. And she, as I said, predisposes us to that. And you said it's, it's certainly a safe doctrine uh, that Mary uh, does um, uh, intervene for us, but she is also the dispenser of those graces then that are forthcoming as a result of our prayers and and our reaching to the Father. Um, We are the children, of course, and Mary models for us, as we discussed in last week's conversation when we talked about her earthly life, she models for us uh, the very behavior that she wants us uh, to manifest in our own lives, whether it's the response to God's call, whether it's accepting uh, the difficulties of her life, of which there were many, uh, and ultimately, of course, uh, being willing to go to the cross with our Lord and Savior, um, as she did. And we know that um, as it relates to Mary's dispensing of graces, we recognize it is referred to in uh, theology as what's called moral causality. Moral causality simply means in Mary's response, she has um, come into obedience to the Father's will, much like the saints. She responds favorably to the Lord's uh, request for um, uh, his um, um, call uh, to the way that she would conduct her life, to the way that she would live her life, and to her um, um, actions throughout the course of her life. And this leads to moral causality, or in other words, through her powerful intercession, um, we can experience these graces because of our alignment, if you will, uh, to, to Mary's life. And, of course, we remember that this is all in subordination to Christ. Always in subordination to Christ, and a very important point to bring out. You know, Mary is the dispenser, the mediatrix, the source, as we said before. We don't want to confuse these two. The source of all grace is always Jesus Christ. It's interesting to note, however, on this issue of uh, causality, moral causality, that St. Thomas even leaves open the question of a further uh, power in Mary's intercession, and that is physical causality, albeit in subordination to Christ. Physical causality, and we won't get too theological here, simply means that Christ, who had physical causality, in his actual person, 
which is always united to the divine, um, was able to affect the transmission of grace. So Christ could transmit, transmit grace by his physical person, right? Not simply through this moral causality, the intercession, the prayer, uh, the calling upon God, which is the moral causality. Christ could manifest that grace and the dispensing of it through his body. Uh, St. Thomas of Aquinas leaves open the possibility uh, this is actually an interesting theological discussion for those who uh, pursue this sort of um, uh, line of thought uh, as to whether or not Mary herself uh, may also have had this physical uh, causality because of her association uh, with the Lord, giving birth to the Lord, and also because of her direct connection uh, with him uh, from her reign in heaven. Well, quite uh, simply, I think, well, absolutely, because, you know, God wants to share everything with us. So, you know, why would he not give Mary this? And and I know that, you know, we think of miracle workers, saints, um, who, you know, a miracle is attributed to, and even maybe uh, a per- living person who, uh, through their prayer and their contact, I mean, I can even think of St. Padre Pio, so many stories of him and his intercession and his miraculous um, effects on souls. So if, if we can talk about that with St. Padre Pio, um, think how much greater the Blessed Mother is. So, you know, she is, um, I think this is where we get that the titles of the treasure and dis dispenser mm-hmm. of grace. Excuse me, Mark yeah, and Francis? Well, and yes. Is, we have Gabriel on the line with a question. Sure. Hi, Gabriel. Hello. God, God bless. God bless both of you all. My name is Gabriel. I'm calling from Coto, Louisiana. And I have the most... Well, hello. How- oh, hi. Oh. <laughs> I have the most stupidest question to ask, but please forgive me. I, I, I doubt it's going to be stupid. I'm 54 years old. I was married 25 years and raised five children. Uh, they're all grown on their own. And I was wondering, uh, you know, okay, I'm divorced, so I guess I'm a terrible sinner. And what I was wondering, how, okay, I'm, uh, I joined Carmelite on, on Facebook, and I, I was wondering, how would I go about become a Carmelite? Or is it, like, I can say it too late for me, or I won't fit the criteria, or... I mean, once again, I uh, said it would be a stupid question. <laughs> well, so, first of all, Gabriel, thank you. Uh, thank I mean, you for, just, for calling. I'm just asking it, for it, enlightenment. I mean, you know, um, you're give it to me straight. Go oh, oh, I'll go give it to you me. straight. <laughs> well, uh, 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 let me say again. Th- yeah, thank okay, you very I'm much a, for I'm the a, call. I'm going to hang up and listen. Oh, okay. So I'm going to say to Gabriel first, um, not a stupid question, right? right. Um, and and let's let's balance that statement first, Francis. There are some stupid questions out there, maybe, and I usually ask them. So <laughs> Me I, too. I know a stupid question when I hear it. That's how that we is, get smarter, though. We get unstupid. <laughs> <laughs> certainly not a stupid question, uh, Gabriel. To your comment about um, the consequences of your marriage. Um, it, it certainly doesn't uh, qualify you as a terrible sinner. We are all sinners. We've all fallen short of the grace of God. We all face um, unique challenges in our life. I have a very close cousin, uh, someone I love a great deal, who actually um, is a minister. He's Protestant, and he's a minister who's also gone through a divorce. It's not unique. Uh, it is a challenging time to hold marriages together. I actually am 53 years old myself, so uh, not far from 
uh, from you, Gabriel, and I can tell you, having raised six children, I know the challenges that we face in the society of keeping marriages together. Uh, having said that, um, I think it's important for us to remember that uh, God is all grace, he's all mercy, he's all loving. He's seeking each one of us in the midst of those trials, in the midst of those difficulties. That's where we have the grace to find him. That's where in those moments of trial and tribulation and the realization that we've fallen short uh, in so many ways as we all have, we go seeking him. You're seeking him through participation now in a Carmelite community, and we have a president of a Carmelite community, thankfully, in Francis, uh, sitting here in the studio with me. And so I'm going to let Francis respond to the question of how you begin this process. But it is my suspicion, uh, barring the logistics, that one day you're going to find yourself uh, as a full-fledged Carmelite, and the beginning of that is going to be today with Francis's help. Well, the process would be to um, find out if there's a community near you. Now, I want to say up front that a person who is divorced, a Catholic, you must be 18 years old and a practicing Catholic, okay, to be involved in the Carmelite communities. And, and I'm speaking on behalf of the Discouse Carmelite secular communities. That's where my expertise comes in. And so a person who is a practicing Catholic but is divorced is not barred from becoming a Carmelite. They would be barred, however, if they remarried outside of the church. Um, you don't have to have already obtained an annulment. Um, you can just be at that point of being divorced. That, but that does not, um, it is not a point of keeping you from going forth. Um, the second thing is you want to find a discount Carmelite secular community near you. And then you would go and visit them and, you find out, you know, what's involved, and then you discern the community there, and you discern whether you have a call to Carmel. But the the fact that you have an interest, it would, to me, seem that it would be good to go and check this out. So um, there is a place um, on the, the web. It's the OCDS dot, let's see, what is it, OCDSWashprov.org. No, is that what it is? It's ocdswashprov.org. And you can go on there, and it'll say territories, and you can link on there, and, and it'll tell you all the different states in the United States and where some of the communities are. So that's one way to find a community. And then they'll help you discern if there's a further call. So you, you just get out there and begin. But divorce does not keep one from becoming a Carmelite. However, if you remarried outside of the church, that would prevent you from continuing on. Yeah, now I'll also add uh, for all of our listeners, I hope Gabriel is, uh, um, is still able to, uh, to, to hear the answer, but <clears throat> a very good way, of course, as Francis has said, if you have access to a computer, get online and look up the, um, the, the Washington province. Uh, just typing in Carmelite communities, secular Carmelite communities, um, is probably a good beginning. And then look within your state, you'll see whether they're not, uh, uh, represented in your state. Now, you did mention the Discouse and the the uh, ancient, ancient observance, observance, so we yes. should just distinguish quickly uh, which of the two. Either of those are appropriate, but maybe just to distinguish well, the two. the ancient observance is often referred to f for the seculars as the third order, and for the, the Teresian reform, it's the Discouse Carmelite seculars. Okay? Right. Um, so there's two branches, and, and D Mark and I are in the Teresian, the Discoused. So... Anyway, but 
but please do call on Mary. Uh, that was, was <laughs> going to be my next point. Yeah. She's the protectress of the order. She's who this order exists for. Uh, because by going to Mary, we get to Jesus. We get to the Father. We get to the Holy Spirit more purely because um, her the purity of her soul uh, leads us. Yeah, I, 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 it's exactly what I was going to say, Francis. And I can't imagine a better way to sort of conclude our response to Gabriel uh, and, and other than thanking him again for his question, but to say, turn to the Blessed Mother, pick up a rosary. If you're familiar with the rosary and the prayers of the rosary, then please pick up the rosary and, and ask the Blessed Mother. As you reflect on the mysteries of her life, say, you know, Mother, I want to be a member of your community, of the uh, order for which you are the great patron, um, the, the one who guards and protects the members of the Carmelite Order, and she does. Uh, we've done many programs now on the history uh, and the role of Mary and Carmel, uh, but the, um, the fact is if we turn to her, Gabriel, and ask, Mother, direct me, guide me, help me to know where you want me to be, I can assure you, and that's why I can say with, with great confidence, uh, I don't know whether, in fact, you'll be in a Carmelite community there in Louisiana or, or connected to one, but I know this. If you ask the Blessed Mother, she will intercede. She will become involved in finding uh, for you where it is that she wants you to be. In fact, I would argue that her, her uh, work had already begun before you picked up the phone today because the call that you made, though you may have thought it was uh, your decision to do that, was uh, no doubt prompted by the Blessed Mother working through the Holy Spirit in your heart to say, I feel like uh, I may not be worthy, but I'm going to go and ask, and I'm going to see if there isn't an answer for how I can begin uh, to deepen this journey uh, on the road with the Blessed Mother, and, and she's the beginning of all that work. How about that? That was an example of grace in action through the intercession of our Blessed Mother. And, you know, here she is. She transmits the vitality of Christ. She transmits the life of Christ better than any other. And so by going to Mary, um, you know, we can be assured of help. All right. Yeah, I think it's important. You you sort of moved to that part of it, Francis. I want to go ahead and pick up on this for uh, both for um, um, uh, you know the larger context of the discussion with Gabriel, and also how does the Blessed Mother work in our soul? Now we talked about this physical causality and moral causality. I will tell you that at the end, my my last comment on that is it doesn't really matter. We know through the merit that the Blessed Mother acquired. She became the uh, dispenser and mediatrix of all graces. We know that she dwells within our soul. Now, how do we know that? This is a question, actually, that's been raised. Uh, I've faced it myself a number of times in prayer meetings and in groups that gather. Well, gee, I hear that the Blessed Mother's in our soul. How is it that she's in our soul? She is in our soul through the working of the Holy Spirit. St. Thomas points out that the Holy Ghost was fruitful on earth through Mary. We know that, right? The Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost was dispatched, sent um, to Mary, and through her, he did his work participating uh, in the work of the Incarnation. Now, I want to make sure, again, we caution here. Scripture does not say, nor does it mean to indicate, that the Holy Ghost needed Mary to do the work. Right. It says that he chose to work through her. Let he us participating. <laughs> yeah. He manifested his fruitfulness in a most profound way through Mary. And in exactly that same way, 
in our individual souls, Mary dwells so that the Holy Spirit can do his work. Now, how does she dwell? If she doesn't dwell in a physical way, and let's just dispense with that for the moment, but let's say she she dwells in a spiritual way. She does so, St. Thomas says, through affectivity. What do we mean by love? Affectivity? Love. It's all about love. <laughs> it is about love. That's exactly right. It is our love, though, Francis, right? Responding to her. And in so doing, we draw her into our life. What does that mean? Is that just, you know, emotion? It's just sort of uh, uh, a feel good experience? And it, or mental gymnastics? You know, it's not that. Yeah, it is. Actually, the word affectivity in, in um, affection means the influencing, influencing through a response through, uh, of the object of the affection, in this case, the Blessed Mother. So let's put that together. We develop a relationship with the Blessed Mother by reflecting on her earthly life. We know that she dwells in heaven. Scripture and the tradition of the church tells us that she is the most powerful intercessor and dispenser of graces. We saw that, we think, mm-hmm. today in our, in our very radio program uh, through the call that Gabriel made. Mary reaches out and she predisposes us to respond in a way that is consistent with God's will working through the Holy Spirit. That deepens our relationship, our affection for the Blessed Mother grows, and we are drawn ever more into that life. And when our affection for the Blessed Mother grows, guess who else grows? <laughs> the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit He's grows. attracted to Mary. <laughs> That's his spouse. So. And we know, of course, um, we said earlier, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my Father will love him and we will come to him. And we will make our abode in him. Uh, in addition, uh, Scripture tells us, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? And dwelling in us, the Holy Spirit manifested himself. His fruitfulness is made more fruitful with the participation of the Blessed Mother. We know that. History already teaches us that. So our affection draws the Blessed Mother to us, our intimacy with her by reflecting on the mysteries of her life, which we discussed in uh, the first program of this series, helps us to develop a deeper and a more intimate and abiding relationship with her. The Holy Ghost works through that relationship and deepens and calls us, predisposes us through Mary to the very things that the Lord wants to give us anyway. Participation in a Carmelite community, a deepening relationship in prayer, maybe the healing of a relationship with a family member. All of these things are given to us through the graces, through the merit that our Blessed Mother dispenses to us and works in our soul along with the work of the Holy Spirit. So we should all be much more excited about calling on Mary, and we should be doing it daily, frequently, throughout the day, every day, every night. Well, and I I think, uh, Francis, this might be a good point for us to talk about something we only touched on briefly uh, last week, and that is this more formal uh, devotion to the Blessed Mother, which uh, St. de Montefort um, um, is one who, by the way, uh, perhaps uh, among the best uh, uh, explainers of this idea of consecrating ourselves to the Blessed Mother. Now, we we said last week that we would at least touch on uh, that theme this week 
Um, we don't want to go through the whole consecration. We don't have enough time, of course, in, in the five minutes or so. I that think we that's have a future naming. program. Yeah, <laughs> it may well be that we go through his uh, text, which is simply titled True Devotion to Mary mm, or excellent. True Devotion to the Blessed Mother. You'll find it under both titles. And he goes through a defense of why this is so important. But Francis, I know you've done this consecration. I've done it. Talk a little bit about what that means. What does it mean that we consecrate ourselves to the Blessed Mother? How then does it manifest itself in our daily life? Well, I, I think it's it's taking her personally uh, as your spiritual mother and <clears throat> showing your love for her by your gifts to her, by you know asking for her help, thanking her for her intercession. I mean, that's it in sur- simple terms. Now, you can say in theological terms. Well, it, it is just as we've said. It is consecrating everything we do to the Blessed Mother. Uh, St. de Montefort, in fact, cautions us at the very beginning of the consecration. He says, don't worry that by giving all of your merits, by the way, this is the other aspect of it, all of the merits and the graces that we acquire in our life, we turn back to the Blessed Mother. That's part of the consecration. In other words, we may say, well, Father, I, I pray for the, the grace um, uh, you know, to overcome this illness. I pray for the grace for financial burdens to be lifted. I pray for the grace uh, to be able to control uh, perhaps bouts of anger, whatever it might be that and, you, and, that and you pray, pray for. And we pray for the moment because, you know, in the Hail Mary, we say pray for us now and at the hour of our death. Right. And all of that in our lifetime, once we've made the consecration now, if we if we make it with a pure heart, yes, the consecration calls on us to return all of the grace, all of the merit, all of the be- the blessings back to the Blessed Mother. It's a very significant, uh, I think, aspect of our devotion. But why is that true? Because in doing so, we then model the very behavior that the Blessed Mother is demonstrating to us. She is the dispenser of all graces. Does she keep them for herself? <laughs> Does she pull a handful of them inside and say, you know, I'm just going to keep these? No, you know, no, for because this. because she she knows sin is what take destroys grace in the soul. Sin kills grace in the soul. And she wants, just as Jesus, Jesus came for the sinners so that they would have life. And so, so does she. She wants all souls to have life in Christ. Yeah. And that life in Christ that we seek, we'll say it again, I think unabashedly, Francis, we're, we're, we're um, um, you know, Carmelites and, and we get to stand on this teaching. Uh, unabashedly, we say that uh, comes through the Blessed Mother. Our avenue to our Lord and Savior, St. de Montefort, says it's the easy way. It's the direct way. It's the most obvious way. We go through the Blessed Mother for all the graces that we, that we desire, that we need in our life. Every intercession, every um, uh, broken relationship in our life, every difficulty, every obstacle, every joy should be turned back to the Blessed Mother. We should seek her intercession throughout the course of the day. We should seek to have her dwelling in our heart through this affection that we develop of her and for her by reflecting on her life, reflecting on her earthly life, and trying to model and imitate the very behavior that she demonstrated through her very life. And it's so simple to understand that this is 
God's will because Jesus could have just popped in the earth. He didn't have to be a baby born of the Blessed Mother, but he chose to come through Mary. So why, if he's coming on earth through Mary, why would he not want to go in heaven through Mary. This is his prized soul, the Blessed Mother. So, I mean, we are so, um, we're so blessed to have the Blessed Mother. Like St. Therese says, she is more mother than queen. And I do have to remind our listeners that this Thursday, August 22nd, is the Queenship of Mary. And I have to put in a quick advertisement for St. For Alphonsus Liguori, his book, The Glories of Mary. Um, he takes the prayer, the Hail Holy Queen, and he really goes through each line and it is so beautiful and it will fire your soul up. So I invite you to find St. Alphonsus Liguori's book, The Glories of Mary, and read the section on the Hail Holy Queen. It is marvelous. Well, I think if there's been one overriding theme, Francis, in this two-part series now, and perhaps a third, uh, of the role of Mary in our interior life, that has been the title. It is simply this, and for all of our listeners, I think you hear it in our tone, I hope so, that Francis and I are trying to encourage you to find time to develop a relationship with your mother, to find time to spend with her. Reflect on the story of her life. It's found in the Mysteries of the Rosary. Reflect on the fact that she dwells in your heart. Reflect on the fact that she was the means through which the Holy Spirit manifested himself in the world. She was there at the two most pivotal points in history, in salvation history, the Incarnation, and the passion of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And, of course, we know that was preceded by the Annunciation. And I said earlier that um, Elizabeth of the Trinity contends that that time between the Annunciation, when something very profound happened to the Blessed Mother, when she was called on, she was invited, she was asked gave her to fiat. participate in this and gave her fiat from that Annunciation to the Incarnation, is the experience of the contemplative. Ah. We are invited to invite Christ in, to accept him, and then we manifest him to the world. That's what the contemplative does. Oh, that's a lot to ponder, and I <laughs> hope everybody does, because it's very fruitful. So, well, In that uh, vein, I'm going to let people do that, Francis, and ask you if you could please pray us out with... Uh, thoughts and hopes and prayers that we will all deepen that relationship. Well, I think a very appropriate prayer at this time would be the Hail Holy Queen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Hail, Holy Queen, Mother of Mercy. Hail, our life, our sweetness, and our hope. To thee do we cry, poor banished children of Eve. To thee do we send up our sighs, mourning and weeping in this valley of tears. Turn then, most gracious advocate, thine eyes of mercy towards us. And after this, our exile, show unto us the blessed fruit of your womb, Jesus. O clement, O loving, O sweet Virgin Mary, pray for us, O Holy Mother of God, that we may be made worthy of the promises of Christ. Well, thank you again for spending time with us on Carmelite Conversations on Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. Until next week, God bless.
listening to Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. The program you just heard was a rebroadcast of Carmelite Conversations, 